Hi, I'm Sybil Virch from The Wealthy Life. I started in the financial services industry in 1994, and over the years I soon realized that the average Canadian didn't know many of the tips and tricks that would put more money in their pocket and create wealth. And it's not just about money. Being wealthy in your life is about being healthy, happy, financially secure, being surrounded by friends and family. So on The Wealthy Life, we hope to cover it all. Everyone loves the great outdoors, but if you're thinking of buying a recreational property, we have what you need to know. Then, if you have U.S. investment accounts, we discuss how to minimize tax. And ever wonder if online banks are safe? We'll explain what you need to know. All this and more right now on The Wealthy Life. Do you think it's safe to use online banks as opposed to the regular brick and mortar banks? Yeah, that's all I do. Yeah, I'm, maybe it's not safe, but it's very convenient. I would be very skeptical unless it had accreditation with an Australian government of some sort. Yeah, I like to talk to the tellers still. Um, I feel kind of grown up going into the bank in person, so. Oh yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I, I use online banks. They, they give me better, better returns on my investments, by far. Um, I'm 50-50, closer to saying no because I have a parent who is taken by fraud. So I would suggest uh, that you need to be able to walk into where you're banking. Wouldn't it be great to own a cottage by the lake? Today's guests are Jeff and Val, parents of two wonderful kids with a vision of owning a recreational property. Val, Jeff, welcome to the show today. Thanks Thank for you. Us. Val, tell me a little bit about your background, your story. Well, we both uh, work full time and we've got two kids a four year old boy named Lucas and a little 11 month old girl named Freya. Busy? So, yeah, life is pretty busy. <laughs> and yeah. you work full time? Yes. How does that all come into play? Uh, lots of coordination. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. And what do you do for work, Val? I'm a physiotherapist. And Jeff? I own a couple businesses in town, uh, Innovative Fitness and Reflex Supplements. Oh, you sound like the fit, healthy family. <laughs> Try. <laughs> Try to. <laughs> so your kids aren't going to have a chance. They're going to be healthy no matter what. <laughs> yeah, they're so. very active, for sure. Jeff, what was it like growing up as a kid yourself? What did you guys do for fun in your family? Um, well, we were fortunate enough to have a, a lake property, so we um, we spent a lot of time up there and, and boating and things like that. So my brother and I enjoyed that. Growing up was fantastic. And how about you, Val? We did a lot of skiing. That was a big part of growing up. So I look forward to uh, doing those things with our kids as well. And have you started? Have you? What do you do for family vacations right now? We just went uh, just this past winter. Uh, we took our son skiing for the first time, and it was amazing. Even though we just were up and down the bunny hill, like I had. A, we had a wonderful time. How do you do the snowplow? Yeah, he did, and he could turn. <laughs> I was amazed. It's great. At four, they're fearless. Yeah, they are. Yeah, so, which is a little scary, but great and yeah. exciting to see at the same time. Yeah. So after you spent that fun time at the mountain skiing, did it give you a bug to buy? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. We started to think, how could we make this happen where we have a place to go, and um, you know, have our kids in regular ski lessons and and things like that. So we'd start to think about that. 
Now I guess the question is ski or water ski because you grew up with different backgrounds. Yeah. Which is more appealing or do you guys battle this out behind the scenes? Well, I think we've talked a lot about it, and um, you know, having the property on the water would be the thing we'd both focus on first, and think about maybe the ski thing down the road if That's possible. That's the dream. Yeah. yeah, the lakefront property is the dream. Well, yeah. the nice thing about the lakefront property, you really can use it all year round. Right. Yeah, it's not as warm, obviously, in the winter months. Yeah, but there's lots of things to do. I guess the same goes for the ski hill. That a lot of the ski hills have mountain biking and activities yep. in the summertime. Yeah. So you can play those ones, you know, see how it goes one way or another. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to make sure that you do for your kids? Like, what do you want your kids' upbringing to be like? Well, we've talked about having them involved in a lot of sports. Um, we want to keep them active. Mm -hmm. um, certainly meant a lot to both of us growing up. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we want them to have different experiences. So maybe not necessarily just playing sports all the time, but also have the opportunity to spend time with family at a property of some kind. So, Family time and time where they're disconnected. No TV, oh, no phone. I know. You just wait. Your kids are young, but let me guess, probably already have an iPad do. and, yeah. and playing yeah. around, which is a great distraction, especially yeah. if you're out at a restaurant at dinner. It's handy. Here, you know, it entertains them for sure. Is there anything you worry about not being able to provide your kids? I'd say maybe balance, you know, <laughs> making sure they don't get too involved yeah. in one thing. We want to make sure they're, um, you know, playing all sorts of different types of sports, involved in arts and different things like that, so not too fixated down one path. Well, that's uh, great advice because sometimes you see parents who relive their own childhood through their kids and mm -hmm. push them in one direction mm -hmm. or another, mm -hmm. and it gets too much too soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So balancing it all out. Mm -hmm. Well, what's your big question for me today, Jeff? Well, financially speaking, we want to know if it's going to be a good investment for us to, uh, to purchase a lake property. Mm -hmm. And I have exactly what you need to know to answer that question. Don't go away. Find out if owning a recreation property is as good as it sounds. The Wealthy Life is brought to you by investment dealer Raymond James. Life well planned. See what a Raymond James advisor can do for you. Welcome back. We're here with Jeff and Val to see if buying a recreational property is a good investment. Well, you both, before the break, painted this picture of what you really envisioned for your kids. And I liked what you said about having balance in life, mm -hmm. quality time, and having a place to go where you could just unplug. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the properties you've looked at so far? Maybe describe a few different ones. Well, we saw um, a property up at Horn Lake uh, that's quite rustic, just sort of like a small cabin, uh, you know, two bedrooms right on the water, which I think is pretty important to us. We'd like to be right on the water. And uh... Is there Wi-Fi? No. No <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> Will you have cable? No. No cable. None. No water. Why is it important to be <laughs> on the water other than it's beautiful? What do you plan on doing on the water? We both like boating and, and water skiing is a, is a big part of what we grew up with. So Paddleboarding, paddle kayaking, boarding, swimming. We love those things. Oh, you're selling me yeah. on this. How much does this property cost? It's about $500,000. Okay, so it's not bad, uh, but that is on top of you. I assume you own your own home today. Yes. Yep. Great. You asked the question, does it make sense financially? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there's pros and cons 
to looking at the finances on a second property. Mm. There are some things money just can't buy, mm. and so that needs to be factored in. I will go through the math, and I'll, t I'll look at it from purely a financial investment perspective, okay. and I'll tell you what that looks like. But the thing to consider is sometimes there's just a price for happiness. Mm -hmm. And if you can associate that and you're okay with the cash flow and can afford it, then it's worth every penny. Mm -hmm. So that being said, the property costs $500,000. What do you think the property taxes will cost a year? It's about $4,000 a year. And is there strata fees? Is this part of like a complex? Yeah. And yeah. what would those cost, Jeff? About well, 6000 Okay, so we're up to 10000 a year just mm -hmm. in property taxes and strata mm -hmm. fees. Utilities, have you looked into what those might cost? Uh, approximately 2000 Okay, that's not bad because you're not going to have Wi-Fi and cable and that would make the utilities much higher, mm -hmm. which you don't want anyway, <laughs> which is good. And maintenance, uh, there's some maintenance costs and that's mm -hmm. a hard one to answer and a lot of people don't think about it, mm -hmm. but generally it's safe to bet on about 1% of the purchase price every year as an absolute minimum. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to say you're probably going to spend another five or even $6,000 a year in, in maintenance costs. Okay. So when I just, I'm just going to jot those down. So we've got 4626 We're about $18,000. Okay. Are you planning on using this for yourself or are you, will you rent it out? Is that an option? The thought was to rent it out and use it maybe like a couple weeks during the summer to start out and then... Beautiful. Yes. Okay, because now we get into the good investment side of things. So I have a simple formula that I use. It's a property pre-analyzer and for those of you watching, if I go too fast, you can email us at thewealthylife.com to get a copy of the property analyzer. And what this is going to do is going to help you calculate whether it's a good investment or not. So on that $500,000, it's going to cost, you need to buy it, mm -hmm. but you need $18,000 a year just to make all your ends meet. And the other thing you need to consider is appreciation and value, mm -hmm. you got mortgage payments. I generally say that you should be aiming for a three to five percent rate of return on your money. Okay. So the bottom line is you're going to need to rent that property for thirty-three to forty-three thousand dollars a year, so that after expenses, your income equals that three to five percent return on your money, okay. and will cover your mortgage payment. So I'll leave that with you guys to decide if that rental income is possible. Okay. But if it is, it's a fabulous investment. Does that answer your question? Yes. It does. That's Thank great. you. Thank you both for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having, for having us. us. And stay tuned because up next we'll learn the tax and investment tips for cross-border investors. The Wealthy Life is brought to you by investment dealer Raymond James. Life well planned. See what a Raymond James advisor can do for you. Do you have investments on both sides of the border? With us today is Chris Dukesbury, financial advisor, and Phil Hogan, CPA. Both are cross-border specialists. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Chris, how did you get interested in cross-border issues? <laughs> I kind of had no choice. I became a client. So I'm actually from Chicago originally, but I uh, started a career on Wall Street about 20 years ago where I was introduced to a competitor of mine uh, who was from Victoria. 
as fate would have it, uh, she was not only better looking than me, but she was also a better trader. So my analogy or my thought process was, if you can't beat them, you should probably marry them. So oh, nice. we moved to London and then to Hong Kong. And when we had a child, we uh, moved came to Canada. Here, moved to Canada, back to the promised land, and. Uh, it left us with assets scattered around the world, so we started our launched our firm four years ago when we moved back and to help people like us. So great because there's a lot of complex things going on when you move countries, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Phil, tell me about your background. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I, I started on the brokerage side um, in 2000, 2001. Worked there for a while as an associate. Um, I was a trader for a couple years. I went out and had my own trading group, and really. Uh, I went back to school and I remember how much I enjoyed my accounting and tax classes. Uh, started the CPA program. You did not. I did, I did. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I went back, um, finished my CPA uh, training and started Oracle in 2005 with the firm I'm at with right now. And um, uh, you know, at that point they'd had a long lineage in doing cross-border tax. And we'd really, you know, from that starting point, really built our practice. Um, you know, through online um, uh, media and really just um, with the team we have at work and you know, look where you are right now. Yeah. That's great because cross border there's so many different things going Certainly. on. Two completely different sets of tax returns. What are some of the things people need to think about when they do have investments on both sides of the border? I mean I think I mean, there's probably two things. I mean, we have, you know, the compliance metrics for, you know, doing U.S. tax returns um, in Canada. So those that are U.S. citizens living in Canada, not only do they have tax returns to file on the Canadian side, they have U.S. tax returns to file. So U.S. citizens are required to file tax returns regardless of where they live in the world. Talk uh, about double whammy. I know. What's the better? only country in the world that basically makes you do that. Exactly. What's better than one tax return is two, two. tax, two tax <laughs> returns. Good times. Yeah. So yeah, most of our clients have filed two tax returns and with those tax returns you're reporting your income on both sides of the border. And you're really you're, you're making sure that you're not paying tax twice. You're trying to eliminate all the double tax that you can. Right. Um, and you know a big part of the compliance, uh, you know, the IRS wants to know where your foreign assets are. You know, the CRA, the Canadian Department wants to know where your foreign assets are as well. So there's cross, um, there's complexity of, of um, uh, having foreign assets being uh, uh, disclosed on both sides of the border both from an IRS standpoint and from a CRA standpoint. And you right. see, you know, people like myself with the investments, you're like, which investments have to stay in the U.S.? Which can come to Canada? So f trying to figure out what to do with what you have is sometimes a challenge for most well, people. Well, maybe expand on that a little bit, Chris. What has to stay in the U.S. versus what can stay in Canada? If you think of your investable assets that you have in the U.S., there's two kind of buckets. What we refer to as tax-deferred, so like a 401k or an IRA. Which for us Canadians is an RRSP. Very similar to. Okay. And then you have the other bucket, a brokerage account or a non-registered account. The tax-deferred accounts need to stay in the U.S. Um, so the can, retirement planning type accounts need to stay in the U.S.? They have to stay with the U.S. custodian. So your options are to find a cross-border advisor who's licensed to deal with non-residents, okay. someone like myself, or you have an option of collapsing an IRA and moving it into an RSP with help with someone like Phil, but that, those can that can face unique challenges in its own. Phil, is that generally a good idea or a bad idea or what, what do people need to think about if they want to collapse it and move the money yeah. here? I mean, we get this, this question a lot. Really, when we talk about something like an IRA, 
you have, you know, you know, a couple might move up to Canada. They have their the retirement accounts, you know, in the U.S. They might have IRAs, they might have 401ks. You know, they certainly have some options. One of the options to collapse the IRA, bring the money to Canada, um, invest it in a non-registered account, or if you have RSP room, perhaps you you invest it in your RSP. You're going to pay a lot of tax up front in doing that. So it's it's usually not a great piece of advice to to deregister the IRA. Another option which is quite quite popular, having the IRA deregistered and transferred to an RSP. That's an option. The challenge with that, you, you need enough income um, personally to yeah. actually transfer that IRA to an RSP. So for some clients, we might have to do that over a number of years, five, six years. And that's because years. you need to have enough income to create the RSP contribution well, room? It's more about a foreign tax credit calculation. Okay. So we need, to, we need to have enough Canadian income to be able to offset the U.S. tax that you're going to pay on that deregistration. But here's where it gets interesting is that there's a unique feature that IRAs or Roth IRAs have that we don't have here in Canada in RSPs and RIFs. And it's simply the stretch option. And what that means is this, you can name a beneficiary for an IRA or a Roth IRA who's a non-spouse. And what happens then upon your passing, that asset can transfer tax-free to a beneficiary if they open up an inherited account. And what it lets that beneficiary do is tax defer that account over their lifetime. Whereas- That's huge. It's huge. So here in, in Canada, as you know, RSPs or RIFs transfer to spouses tax-free, but upon your spouse's passing, that's a taxable event. So having and retaining that optionality of what I call another generation of tax deferral, I think is massive. And I think most people underestimate how valuable that can be. Now, Chris, I think this is why you told me about this white paper. For those of you who are yeah. interested in learning how $250,000 can turn into $35 million tax-free to an heir, contact us at thewealthylife.com and we'll send you a copy of the white paper. Most people think that that's an error. And I, and I, and I joke and I say, you know, tax-free compounding is the investing equivalent of being on a gravy train with biscuit wheels. It's just amazing. So that's a strategy that, my, that actually my parents are doing for my kids right now. Oh, that's fantastic. And one final question. Do people need two different accountants if they're cross-border? Do they need a Canadian and a U.S.? I'd say, you know, whenever possible, you want one individual, one firm doing everything. Yeah. You know, there, there's cross complexities with these returns. There's foreign accounting reporting on both sides of the border, and the penalties for not filing these forms can be significant. So certainly, you know, we even have clients that they might have a Canadian account and we do the U.S., but that's a small percentage. And especially for clients that have U.S. source income, you'd want the same individual doing both returns, certainly. If there's Thanks. one key piece of advice I give to people like myself, it's, it's, it's KISS. Keep it simple. If you keep it simple, you're going to get two things. You're going to be able to make sure you're reporting on both sides of the border in an easy and cost-effective manner. And two, you're going to be able to manage risk much better by having one person seeing Taking the full picture. Taking care of it picture. all. Yeah. Great advice, you two. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. When we return, discover if you can trust your money in an online bank. Welcome back. Thanks for your letters, emails, tweets, and messages. Today's question is from Lauren in Edmonton. Dear Sybil, I'd like to hear your take on all the new online banks that seem to be growing in popularity. They boast high interest rates and no fees, which are very attractive, but there are a few or no brick and mortar locations to visit. 
I have some money that I want to put into a high interest savings account for a few months to a year and want it to be accessible. Are these banks a safe place to open a high interest savings account? Many thanks, Lauren. Well, Lauren, it's a great question. It's one that is popping up more and more often as the world of cybersecurity comes into play. It seems like a lot of business transactions are done online and banking is no different. Just because you can't touch and feel the physical location doesn't mean it's not safe. All of the online banks are regulated by the same regulators, so you know that your money is okay. That being said, watch out for scams, because there are scams out there. You need to do your research. But assuming you pick one of the many online banking services that are available in order to get a higher rate, you should be okay. As an added peace of mind, look for insurance coverage. For example, many of the banks are insured through CDIC, Canadian Deposit Insurance Corporation. That will give you some extra safety so you can sleep at night. One of the reasons that the banks are able to offer higher interest rates when they are doing it through an online service is because they don't have all the expenses associated with having a lease and real estate. Even your own bank, whatever bank that may be today, is going more and more to online services. Everything is being transacted by a computer. If you want to make a deposit to an online bank, that's a good question you need to ask. What network are they a part of? What bank machines are you able to go to to deposit cash and checks? Many of them allow you to take a picture of your checks. So you don't even need to go to a bank machine anymore. So these are all the types of questions that you're gonna to wanna to ask to make sure that your money's safe. But a final tip is, I think you just need to get comfortable with technology. And that wraps up this edition of The Wealthy Life, helping Canadians make smart financial decisions. Go to thewealthylife.com to become a member and receive free exclusive access to Wealthy Life workbooks, calculators, articles, and more to help you get the most out of what you have.